I'm Ashley. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. And welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 220. Today we are discussing unusual genres. This is one of our categories for the Unabridged Reading Challenge for 2022. Before we get started with our bookish check-in today, I did want to just tell you a little bit more about the Reading Challenge. You can get involved very easily with our Reading Challenge for this year. You can do that through our website if you go to unabridgedpod.com slash Reading Challenge 2022. That tells you everything about the categories. It will there's lots of downloadables there so if you enjoy filling out the different categories and kind of sketching out what you want to do for each one that's available there you can also hook up with us on instagram or any other of the other social medias at unabridged pod and on instagram there's some good stuff there as far as if you look at our highlights you can see that there's reading challenge information there there are templates that you can use for your stories so there's lots of ways to get involved This is a very doable challenge and it has a lot of different variety as far as the categories. And we are making sure that we have episodes that link up with the different ones. So a lot of them are book clubs this year. If you read along with the book club, a lot of those will fit in with our reading challenge categories. And then we also have episodes like today's episode where we're going to give you some ideas for a category. Let's get started with our bookish check-in. Jen, what are you reading? So every year, I talked about this on our reading goals for 2022 episode. I choose some challenges for myself. So this is perfect for this episode too. And I try to read the Tournament of Books shortlist. So the book I'm talking about today is Percival Everett's The Trees, which is on the shortlist. And the Tournament of Books just started yesterday. So you should check that out and see if you have read any of the books that are on the short list, but Everett's the tree. So Everett also had a book on last year's short list, and he is a really interesting author. I had not read him before. The trees is quite different from the book that I read last year. So I feel like he's one of those authors who just dives into a ton of different genres and different tones. The trees is about a, well, it starts as one murder, but then it becomes clear that it's a series of murders set in money, Mississippi. At each murder scene, there is a dead white man, and it is clear that he has died recently and has been disfigured. And then there is a dead black man who it is clear has been dead for a long time. And the body of the dead black man disappears and then reappears at these different murders. And so you get this view from the families of the victims and from the police officers who are investigating, eventually two investigators from the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation come in to Money, Mississippi, and they are both Black and feel the impact of their race in the way that people are treating them. And they are really perplexed by why this body is disappearing and then reappearing at these new murder scenes. And then they realize that he is an adult, but that he bears a striking resemblance to Emmett Till when he was in his coffin. 
I will say it is taking me a really long time to figure this one out. It's interesting because I'm not sure there are elements of it that are quite realistic. The tone is fascinating because it's a, it's funny. There are parts of it that are really funny. It, it has this dark comedy tone over the whole thing. And yet it is clearly dealing with a very serious, horrible issue. And I can't put my finger on whether there's this element of the paranormal, whether it's all going to come out to have a logical explanation. So the, it is a really interesting book. I'm tracking my own reactions and they are just all over the place. So <laughs> that is Percival Everett's The Trees, which at this point I think is really, is really good. But yeah, I, I don't know what my reaction will be to the end and to the way it all resolves. Wow. I hadn't heard about that one, Jim. That is fascinating. And I'm always so interested in books where I can't tell if, if there are elements like the paranormal in them. I always think that's an interesting read when you're not sure how things are going to shake out and what kind of forces are involved. I always find that fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? What are you reading? So I am reading Seth Rogen's memoir yearbook, and it is a collection of essays that he wrote and I'm listening to the audio of course because you know how I feel about that because he reads it and it is just really funny he talks about how he gets into comedy and like I said it's a, a collection of essays so there is a chronological narrative thread but not, but it's more like standalone essays about just his life he talks about his Jewish grandparents and how they inspired his comedy and it is hilarious so I, I'm just at the very beginning essays and I'm enjoying it so much but I will say that if you are if you do not like bad language I would definitely would not recommend mm. <laughs> this book because he definitely I think within the first three sentences there's an f-bomb so <laughs> that doesn't bother me but if it, if you're if you're a reader that is sensitive to that then this is not the book for you but if you like a funny memoir I think that you'll really enjoy it because I I enjoyed it from the first words so that's your book by Seth Rogen I cannot wait to read that one <laughs> Ashley what are you reading so one that I'm reading, I actually just finished this, but I wanted to share it because it was new to me and I really enjoyed it, is Ellie Schwartz's Finding Perfect. This is a middle grade read and I listened to it on audio and it centers Molly Nathans is the main character and she's a slam poet. So it opens up and she's really involved in the slam poetry program at her school, which I really love and so that was really cool but then you start to find out that she's got some stuff going on with her family the big thing that is impacting her life is that her mom has taken a job in canada for a year and is away from the family and she early on is hoping that that is the case but she has an older sister and a younger brother and the older sister is very doubtful that 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 her mom is really coming back so there's definitely molly wants to believe her mom's coming back but she is dubious about what what all of that means and then her older sister who is a teenager is just like this is their way of kind of letting us down easy as far as what's going on so she's trying to hatch a plan to get her mom to come visit sooner but we start to discover that she has some routines that she adheres to every day in order to kind of make sure that everything is right in the world. And so it could be things like reorganizing her sock drawer or 
getting her pencils sharpened and setting them just right on her desk. And she has those routines that she's been going through, but as she gets more worried about her mom, she's having to get up earlier and earlier. She's going to bed later and later because she's having to do these routines sometimes three, four times in a row in order for things to feel okay. And then she'll finally be like, okay, I can go to bed or okay, I can go to school and it's becoming more paralyzing. So she's kind of going through this, but no one knows that that's happening to her. It's very much like, she's like, oh, I'm just going to reorganize this one more time. And then I'm going to go get ready for school or I'm going to go out the door. And the other thing that is becoming more frantic for her is she starts this self-soothing routine of counting by fours, but then she is becoming more and more frantic with the counting. And so it's getting to where she's trying to have a conversation with someone, but in her mind, she's having to keep track of where she is in that pattern of numbers. And all of that is happening in her mind, but she is not communicating it to anyone. And so there's a couple of times where she tries, she's got some great friends, she has some some good support, but she has a couple of times where she tries to say something to someone and then she just doesn't quite, the timing doesn't feel right. There are other things going on for the friend. She winds up not saying it. And so you as the reader are watching her develop more and more debilitating habits. And yet she is, you know, as far as everyone can tell around her, she's doing fine. And so it's just a really great book. I thought it was really well explored and shows what that can be like for a kid who is in a stressful situation, who is trying to manage that stress and how that can really spiral out of control and how habits that originally were very manageable and just kind of part of her life can take over. And so you start to see that she's got, you know, she needs, she needs some coping strategies. She needs some support for finding a way forward. And so I just thought it was really well done. I loved the way that Schwartz talks about mental health and how that can be for a kid and what a difference it can make if, if she can get some people involved who can really help her work through those things and find coping strategies that are really, really effective for her. And so, yeah, I loved it. So like I said, I, I'm cheating a little bit because I just finished this one, but I did want to share it because it was one I had not heard of that I just think is really great and shows the way that people, Molly has stuff that was manageable for her and she didn't need support until she got in this crisis situation with her family. And then that added stress meant that no longer was she able to manage that on her own. And so you really see that developing and her kind of figuring it out about herself. Like she didn't really know anything about obsessive compulsive disorder. She has no idea that the patterns that she's experiencing are patterns that other people also experience. And so it's her trying to figure out what's going on and how scary that can be for a kid. And then how also when it's scary, you don't want to say anything to anyone because it's scary and you think you're going crazy. And so then you don't want to admit to someone. Whereas, you know, if she knew there was this larger community and that it is something that lots of people live with and that there are things that can be done, that that makes a big difference. So yeah, I loved it. I thought it was really, really great and work through a lot of really important things in a way that I think is approachable for middle grade readers. So again, that's Ellie Schwartz's Finding Perfect. Oh, that sounds so good. And yeah, yeah I hadn't heard of that really at all. Good. Yeah. I loved it. And I just, yeah, like I said, I mean, it really gets into obsessive compulsive disorder, but also just how 
how easy it is for things that were once manageable to be right. unmanageable. And that that's very, I just appreciate that that is a very normal thing that I, mean, I think all of us living through the pandemic understand how that is. That like things that, nor, you know, that before were just so doable and like for her, those routines that she had were comforting, but not paralyzing. Yeah. It was just something that she did. It brought her comfort and it was no problem. But then all of a sudden that's not enough. And it's this frantic feeling that nothing that she's doing is going to protect. I mean, in her case, she gets kind of fixated on her brother, her younger brother, and that something bad's going to happen to him if she loses track of her numbers or if she doesn't line things up just right. And she knows it's irrational, but she can't stop herself from feeling like if she doesn't do those things just right, that something terrible is going to happen to him. And so I just, I thought all of it was just really great. And yeah, I don't know. I stumbled across it on Libro FM. It was one of their kids club or, or I don't remember which category, but anyway, it was one of the ones that was on sale. And so I was like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. And I'm so glad because I just thought it was great. So we wanted to share today about unusual genres, and this could include a lot of things. So one of the things we wanted to do, and I'm going to list a few that are on, that I know are considered unusual <laughs> genres, but ladies, please feel free to add on because basically we just want people who are participating in the challenge to know there's a lot of things that fit in here. So epistolary is a common genre that would fall under this. So that's just anytime there are letters being written within the book, it could be the whole book is letters, but it also could be that letters are a part of the book that would still be considered an epistolary novel. And so that would be one. Yeah, I was thinking of like, we did anxious people as a book club pick and that one integrated some straightforward narration, but then it had transcripts of interviews surrounding a crime. And so the transcripts really gave you that visceral sense that you were sort of in the police station figuring out along with the police officers what happened in the story. Yeah, ones that have a lot of text messages, mm -hmm. emails. Yeah. I was stuff thinking like of that about Sadie, the oh, the yeah. book Sadie. I that's told as a like through podcasting. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. yeah, mixed media books. What's the one? Chopsticks. Chopsticks. I can't remember yes. who the author is. So that one, it's kind of bridging that gap between integrating different genres, but there's a lot with images and there's a really interesting one from a few years ago. We should do a book of fame on this called Building Stories by Chris Ware. And that came in a box and had a bunch of stories that were separate, but they all took place in this single apartment building. And each new piece that you pulled out of the box was a different genre and you could read it in any order. So it really challenged the notion of a cohesive narrative. I'm trying to think of others that I've read and loved. I always get a kick out of seeing what authors put together. Ooh, Griffin and Sabine is a good one. And that one's beautiful. And it has like these little envelopes on the pages with letters that Griffin and Sabine have written back and forth to each other. And it's gorgeous. Oh my gosh, it's so pretty. Yeah, so we will, in our show notes for this, we'll have the list that we just shared, and then we'll have other things coming your way too. But just, you know, feel free to message us at Unabridged Pod if you have questions about what, or just need some, you know, suggestions for books that would work for this. But it is a wide range, and there are a lot of books out there that can meet this category. And then we wanted to share a few specific recs with you today. So we're going to dive into those, and each of us is going to share one that we've read that we really loved that would fit this category category. Jen, do you want to start us off? Sure. So I'm recommending a middle grade book. This would qualify as epistolary. It is Holly Goldberg Sloan and Meg Wolitzer's Two Night Owl from Dogfish. And this one is told entirely through emails and letters. And it is about the 
friendship, developing friendship between two 12-year-old girls. So Avery Bloom lives in New York City and Bette Devlin lives in California. And they are both being raised by single fathers who are gay and, as the girls discover, are dating. They have this long-distance relationship. So I forget which one uncovers this plot by their dads to make (laughs) the girls be friends by sending them away to a summer camp where they just know that they will become best friends. And the girls are very opposed to this idea. They've never (laughs) met. They are quite, quite different. Avery is super anxious and very introverted and just worries about everything. She's afraid of everything. She's deeply afraid of things that are going to happen at the summer camp. She does not like deep water and it's set at a lake. So yeah, she's not in a happy place. And then Bet is her exact opposite. She's super outgoing and really adventurous and just up for anything. And so when they start corresponding over email, to, you know, get rid of this plot that their dads have, they very quickly realize how different they are. And yet the more they write to each other, the more they they start connecting and finding common ground. Most of the book is told through the girls' perspectives, but occasionally you'll get a letter. So both of their dads are obviously secondary characters. You find out a little bit about their, their moms and how they relate to their lives or, or don't. And Bet's grandma Gaga is fantastic. She is one of my favorite characters in the book. She's a secondary character, but you get to know her so well from Bet and Avery comes to know her and you see these letters. And you know, the two authors each took a character and wrote from her perspective. So the voices are so strong and you get such a vivid sense of these girls' personalities. I don't want to say a whole lot, but I will say there is kind of this parent trap element to it. Because at some point, the girls' dads, this is a slight spoiler, but pretty key to the plot, they do break up. And then the girls switch from desperately trying to foil this initial plot to deciding (laughs) that they need to get their dads back together. Because, of course, eventually they come to really like each other and then they think it would be just perfect if they could be one big family. So it is a lot of fun. I think it deals really well with the personalities of each character and helping us to see who they are and when their personalities are strengths and when they can kind of hold them back. And yeah, I just loved it. It's such a great book. So that is Two Night Owl from Dogfish, which are nicknames that the girls use throughout the book by Holly Goldberg Sloan and Meg Wolitzer. Wow. That, I, I want to read that one so bad. Uh, that sounds amazing. And I love Holly Goldberg Sloan counting by sevens. Oh yeah. That's a good one. I think that's going on my TBR right this minute. You would both absolutely <laughs> love it. It is so much fun. What about you, Sarah? What's your recommendation? So I am going to recommend Jennifer L. Holm and Alicia Castellati's Middle School is Worse Than Meatloaf, <laughs> A Year Told Through Stuff. And this is a book that my son, I've talked about on the podcast before, for years, he would only read graphic novels. And so I've, I was always looking for things that would be graphic novel adjacent, but like trying to branch out. So I ordered this one on a whim a few years ago. And when we started talking about the unusual genre episode, I was like, that's the one I'm going to read. And this is a book and it's just like it says, it's told through stuff. The main character is Jenny and the book starts off. She 
she has a top 10 list for the year that she wants to accomplish. And she has this really great outlook going into the year, her year of middle school. And then immediately it becomes apparent that it is not going to go smoothly and things are start going haywire from the beginning, you know, she dyes her hair without asking her mom and there's all these things. But the really unique thing about this book is that it's told through like packages and letters and school reports and notes and little slips of paper that they tape to the refrigerator between her and her mom. And it's just really unique, but it reads like a graphic novel, in my opinion. So you have a lot of visual stuff around, and then you have the words that are written on the little slips of paper or ticket stubs. But it is just really a really unique reading experience. It, I think that Jenny as a character is, I mean, she's like the perfect avatar for middle school, a middle school girl. She is just trying to find her way and where she fits in and how she wants so many things so badly. The number one thing on her list is to get a dad because her mom's a single mom and there's a lot of lightheartedness, but then she's so earnest and so funny and lovable. And I just think that it's a great middle grade read, especially for reluctant readers. I think reluctant readers would really enjoy this book because it's so visually like stimulating. There's every page is in color. So I think this is an excellent choice for this genre. And again, this is middle grade and I have a passion and a really soft spot for middle grade read reading because I think that that's a, that's a time when you can really develop a lifelong love of books. So I, I'm always looking for things that will help develop that in kids. And so I think this is a great choice because it has humor, but it also has heart. So that is middle school is worse than meatloaf a year told through stuff by Jennifer L. Holm and Alicia Castellati. That sounds so good, Sarah. I hadn't heard of that one. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't. It's funny. I I just searched when I found this one. I just searched for books like graphic novels for middle school students. And my, my son is kind of past this point now. He's in high school. But it just came up on a list. I was like, that looks excellent. So I, I got it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think I really liked what you said about the graphic novel adjacent. I will say if you're out there doing this challenge and you don't read graphic novels, to me, that could count. Yeah. But I yeah. think if you are a frequent graphic novel reader, it might be fun to try one of these others. But yeah, I think that, you know, anything that has art and text and it is telling a story in that way is challenging that traditional notion of narrative. So, yeah. Ashley, what is your recommendation? So I wanted to share Ain't Burned All the Bright. And this is done by Jason Reynolds and Jason Griffin. And Reynolds did the text in this and Jason Griffin did the artwork. And it is gorgeous. Jen very kindly shared this one with me. And it is just so beautiful. It is story told on art. And so a lot of it, the design is that there is a piece of art on each page and then the text has, it looks like it has actually been printed out and then taped onto the art. And so it's just absolutely gorgeous. So it's really like poetry and artwork together telling the story of this person's experience. So there is an unnamed narrator. This is written during the pandemic time. And so you're really seeing two things that this narrator is experiencing. And one is the horrific news that is everywhere all the time about all the atrocities that are happening toward Black people. 
and this feeling of ever-present danger. And then the other part is the pandemic and the sickness. And so this narrator who is young and has a brother and a sister and his parents, you can tell is experiencing the weight of all this. And I think that the form is so powerful here because it's told in impressions and you're really just getting a sense of like none of what I just told you, none of that is spelled out in the book, but through the art and through the words, you can see that these two things are ever present for this narrator and he is feeling very alone. So their dad is sick and in a lot of the images, it's silhouetted faces, but they all have on masks. And so you have that feeling of the inability to escape the situation. And there's also throughout the imagery, there are parts where the brother can't stop playing video games. So again, the narrator is really desperate to connect to his family is the feeling that I had reading it. But the the brother is always playing the video games and the narrator feels like he can't connect with him because that is the way that his brother is escaping the situation. And then the sister is really involved in activism and she's really wanting to take a stand and to do things. But because of that, she's really tied to her phone and she seems connected to a community, but that community, the narrator seems to feel is not the family. And so there's really that happening. It, it is an intense feeling experience, I think, because the artwork is so powerful and the very few words on the page are really impactful. But the thing that I really found remarkable about it is despite the fact that both of those things, I mean, as we know, living in this time are ever present and very oppressive, like, and they feel weighty all the time. There's also hope in the book and it is a very hopeful turn and as the book progresses there's a moment where we see that the narrator despite the weight of all of this feels hope and connection through community and there is really this sense that even in the midst of all of this none of which is getting better that there also is still brightness and there's still hope and there's still a way for us to carry on. And so I just thought it was amazing. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely gorgeous. The illustrations are stunning. It's a very quick read, but a really powerful and impactful one. We're certainly all big fans of Reynolds. We've talked about his work a lot, but I hadn't seen this particular partnership before. And so I really loved seeing the two of them work together and what they could create. And there's a bit in the back where they talk about the experience of creating it. And that was really moving also. I mean, it kind of was like, they're both really artistic people, but then they're living through this time where it feels as if it's impossible to do the art and the craft that they were doing prior to the start of the pandemic. And so I thought that was really amazing too, kind of how they evolved into telling this story, which was not their original plan and why that happened in the face of everything that we came to experience starting in 2020. And so, yeah, I just, I really loved it. I found it very moving. So that was Jason Reynolds, Ain't Burned All the Bright, and the artwork is by Jason Griffin. Yay. Wow. I'm so glad you liked that one. I thought it was really remarkable. Mm. Sounds wonderful. Very powerful. And again, um, just like Sarah was saying, I mean, this one's appropriate for young readers and certainly for young adult. And it is very accessible, but I, I love how sometimes even when there's only 
a little bit of words on the page, we can still see how you can move your way through an entire book and it can have a really deep impact, even if it doesn't have a lot of words. And I think Reynolds does that really well, but you really see that in this we hope that gave you some ideas for how to approach the unusual genres category for the reading challenge, or if you're just looking to try some different genres this year. Sometimes these are fun too, because they're quick reads. I was very satisfied with myself because I read Reynolds and Griffin's work very quickly and had that satisfaction feeling of, you know, it was really powerful, but also fast. And that's sometimes a really good feeling too. So sometimes with unusual genres, that's a great way to break out of a reading slump or things like that, because you can sometimes move through them pretty quickly. But we wanted to end today with our give me one. And today's topic is the way that we like to get news. So Sarah, what's one way that you get news? So I don't do a lot of news. I mean, I don't seek out news, but um, I usually will scroll the Apple news highlights on my phone in the morning when I get up. And I also get skim, like the skimmed news over email. And sometimes I will look at that and sometimes I won't just because I have a awareness of what's happening, but sometimes it's just hard to read the news. So that's, that's where I get mine. What about you, Jen? <laughs> so I, as we all know, am a creature of habit and routine. So every day in my inbox, I get a couple of newsletters. I get the New York Times newsletter and Heather Cox Richardson's Substack. I just do the pay or the free version at this point, though I've contemplated getting the paid. And then every day I also listen to the daily podcast. So yeah. Jen is definitely the most news oriented yeah, yeah. of the three of us. Ashley, how about you? So I'd have to say NPR. And I was thinking my entire adult life, I got married shortly after college. So I've been married a long time and my life partner is like Jen or, or more of being obsessively aware of all aspects of the news. And so he knows everything that's going on pretty much every moment of the day, it feels like. And one of the ways that he keeps up is through NPR. And so we listen to, I mean, here we're on WMRA and before we, every location I've been in, in my adult life, I could tell you every detail of the NPR news schedule <laughs> what comes on at what hour this morning we had the puzzler on at 8 45 it also runs at 9 45 on sunday mornings so you know we really are definitely public radio people and have been for a long time and i like sarah i have found myself withdrawing further and further since the pandemic especially started from the news but I do still keep up with it through NPR for sure. And I really am interested in the daily that Jen does. It is a short podcast. So I feel like that one seems like a great, if you're looking for, and I did, I've done the skimmed, like Sarah was saying. Um, and I think both of those are nice. I think the daily is interesting to me. I want to kind of build that into my routine because I feel like it's a doable length. Everyone knows I like to listen on super fast speed. So I feel like I get through it pretty fast and I trust what they say and am interested in trying to get a little more involved because I definitely, now that I'm working from home, especially I felt more plugged in when I was around more people, but I work remotely now. And so then I, I have felt more isolated. So that's one that's kind of on my radar, but for the time being NPR, can't go wrong there. So <laughs> Well, thanks so much for listening today. We hope that you enjoyed that discussion of unusual genres. We would love to hear recommendations you have in this category. We feel like this is one that 
is kind of underexplored. So definitely let us know and you can hit us up on social media at unabridged pod to tell us your recommendations and yeah, thanks for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridged pod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.